The season of the year is known, of course, for many things. Amidst the rushing and the straining of people, many cannot see Christ for Christmas. Thoughts are more upon the table in the dining room than upon the stable in the city of David. They're more interested in the TV stars than they are upon the guiding star. Men and women, when you think of the Apostle Paul, Paul, when he is writing to the churches, no matter what his subject was, he always was to lead them to Christ. You think of the passage that is before us, which I've read just a little earlier on. He does not deal per se with the person of Christ. He does not deal with the wonder of the cross or the joy of redemption. But those verses which have as their primary subject are to do with money. And in particular, a collection on behalf of the poor and afflicted believers in Judea. But in the midst of stirring them up to give liberally, he immediately declares in chapter 8, verse 9, he says, But ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. The Apostle Paul cannot help but speak of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know that's a blessed quality to have. How many can go through even the festive season and never make mention of Christ to their friends or to their relatives. But once Paul was on the theme of giving and of stirring them up to be generous, he felt he could bring them to Christ and to the greatest incentive for giving of all. And he exhorts them not to give grudgingly but willingly. Not sparingly, but bountifully. As it were, he's building up the picture all the time as he goes. Not thinking so much of the gifts, but of another gift. The Lord's gift to us. And fittingly, as he wants to leave that discussion of giving behind, he does so by reminding them And reminding us that God is the greatest giver. For he goes on to a higher plane. In the closing words of the chapter, he speaks of the greatest gift. He says in verse 15, Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. I want you to note there the recognition. Now, we believe that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. In other words, it is all God-breathed. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, was to choose his words carefully. Ah, we can say the same of every other author of the book and the canon of God's Word. And that's all the more evident when you consider how he recognizes the gift Spoken of in this verse. For although the word is translated the same in two other places, yet this is the only occasion in which he uses the word unspeakable. The only time. And it's a unique for good reason. I suppose many of us can be guilty of using adjectives that are not altogether appropriate. And maybe you hear young people today and everything's awesome. Or some other word. And we can be those who are guilty of exaggerating what we're saying. There's nothing of that here. 
The gift that he speaks of is of such infinite glory that language breaks down and the only way in which he can describe it is as unspeakable. And it's unspeakable because of who he is. What the apostle has in mind is the gift of the only begotten of the Father. He is the co-creator of this world, which John tells us, for without him was not anything made that was made. He's the very Son of God who sits on the throne of God. He is equal with the Father, with the Holy Ghost, in power, in glory. He's the same in substance. He is God infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. He is the Prince of life. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And when we consider that he was given to leave behind all the glory and honor and splendor that he had with the Father to come down to this sin-cursed scene of time, then we can identify why Paul could use such a word as unspeakable. We can only exclaim like the psalmist, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou should visit him? Isaiah could prophesy of him as a child being born and a son being given. John the Baptist, he could declare him to be the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. The greatest gift is not other than the Lord Jesus Christ, the only Savior and the only Redeemer of a lost and dying world. That's the gift that you, we desire that your attention might be given to just for a moment. It's unspeakable because of who he is. It's unspeakable because of what he came to do. He said himself, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. The apostle Paul could say, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And that work and that plan of the Godhead meant that the Lord Jesus came to offer himself as a sweet-smelling sacrifice unto God. He came to walk amongst men as a sinless and perfect Savior who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. But he came in order that he might one day go to Mount Calvary and there to the cross to lay down his life in the place of guilty, deserving sinners. The eternal God who could not die, yet he was to give himself to the death of the cross. The all-knowing Savior yet was to give himself willingly into the hands of those soldiers, knowing the agony, knowing the sufferings, knowing the pain that he would endure ere he ever got to the cross, and then death by crucifixion. The word that the apostle uses to describe such is unspeakable. And it's unspeakable for what he was to purchase for sinners undeserving of the least of the Lord's mercies. It was through his work of atonement that Christ has purchased pardon and forgiveness of sins. Doesn't the apostle write there in Ephesians and also some of the other epistles in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. The greatest blessing for any man is to have their sins forgiven and pardoned. And what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. If a guilty sinner was ever to be in God's heaven, then their sin had to be dealt with. 
And God's justice against sin had to be satisfied. And God in Christ purchased that through his atoning death. But more than that, he purchased reconciliation for a sinful people to a holy God. Because of Adam's fall, man has been at enmity with God. Man has been at a distance from God. There's none that seeketh after God. But through Christ, he has reconciled a people unto himself. And the repentant sinner can know what it is to be at peace with God again. The blood of the Savior has made that reconciliation. It speaks peace and pardon to the souls of God's redeemed. It's through Christ that the sinner is able to have that righteousness imputed to them. Whereby they are accepted before God. You're not accepted. You cannot be accepted in your old filthy garments of sin. You can only be accepted in the garment of Christ's righteousness. But you're not only accepted, but adopted. Adopted into the family and fold of God as part of God's family. And it's because of Christ and his atoning death that the message of the gospel of new life, which is eternal and has a promise of immortality and of eternal glory, can be described as unspeakable. You know, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 53, he says, For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. Of all this, and much more, Christ has purchased. And in considering it, I believe we can understand a little better of why Paul could describe it as unspeakable. Let me just ask, have you experienced this unspeakable gift? Not everyone has. But have you? Not only the recognition, but you'll notice the regal giver. And you open presents. You open your gifts. It's obvious that behind the gift there's a giver. And I know boys and girls, when they get out the presents, they get at them in such a way that the parents don't know who bought you that and who bought you that. And they're lying all over the place. So he tags and says on them for Monday, whatever, and so forth. But there's a giver behind the, giving, the gift. And in these words, a few words as he ends this chapter, the apostle as he seeks to stir up the church at Corinth and brings them to consider the greatest liberality there ever was. He doesn't forget to speak about the divine giver of this unspeakable gift. That giver is God the Father. He says, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. And with the Father bestowing such an unutterable gift, higher than the mind can conceive, higher than any language could ever express, you know, it teaches us something about God. It shows us something of the heart of God and his compassion for lost guilty mankind. I'm aware, well aware, there are some who mockingly refer to the Old Testament and all that they can see in the Old Testament is a God who has wrath and judgment. They consider God to be a frowning judge whose whole attitude toward mankind is severe. If that's how you think of the Old Testament, man and woman, you're missing the mark. Because the Old Testament is full of Christ. 
And they would taunt the believer by asking, is that the God you believe in? The God of the Old Testament? The God who judged Sodom and Gomorrah? The God who enabled Elijah to overcome the false prophets of Baal? And we do not deny the truth that God is all holy and God is all just and God must punish sin but so is the second person of the Godhead, the Lord Jesus Christ and so is the third person, the Holy, Holy Ghost because they're all the same in character. But when we remember the gift that God has given in the person of his only begotten Son then does that not show that his fundamental attitude toward us is compassion and love? And if you don't get it from 2 Corinthians 9, 15, what about John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The bosom of the Father abounds with compassion toward us, us who are guilty lawbreakers in his sight, us who deserve nothing else but the torments of everlasting hell. And that is why he gave his unspeakable gift. A truth that is oft repeated throughout the scripture. It was seen in type, if you think of the children of Israel where they were concerned. Deuteronomy chapter 7, and the words of verse 7 and 8 simply says this. The Lord, Moses is speaking to the nation before they crossed over. He says, The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, that the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Moses has reminded them of why they were brought out of the land of Egypt. Why? Because they were redeemed. And how were they redeemed? It was through the blood of the Passover lamb. And God brought them out that he might bring them in. And their inheritance, of course, was that promised land of Canaan. There it is in type. And Moses says, God didn't do that for you because you were the biggest of all nations. Ye were your fewest. He says, because he loved you. And you come to even think of that love that Jeremiah came to understand. It was the motivation for the drawing of God. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 3. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me saying. Yea I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. And so it is in the New Testament as well. Those are just a couple examples in the Old Testament. Romans 5 and 8. But God commendeth his love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. The heart of God. Beats in love for his people. And that was the motivation for this unspeakable gift. You consider that it speaks to us also of the grace of God. A gift is something given utterly apart from obligation. You know, if we're obliged to give, then it's no longer a gift. And so the presence tomorrow, you'll not have to put your hand in, in your pocket and say, well, how much do you? It's a gift. It's a gift. 
And when it comes to man, then we can lay no claim upon God for such a gift or indeed anything. For man rebelled against God, man sinned, man deserved nothing but judgment, man turned his back upon God. There's none that seeketh after God, no, not one, so that man has no right to expect anything from God, not least a gift that is described as unspeakable. And the gift of Christ and of God's salvation becomes all the more unspeakable when we realize how undeserving, how unmerited we are to receive it. If the Godhead had never given Christ as the only Savior and the only Redeemer, then God would have remained spotlessly pure and just. Sinful mankind did not warrant the least of the Lord's mercies, not least the greatest in the gift of God's dear Son. And thus when the Father gave His Son, it was all of grace. For His salvation is all of grace. Unmerited favor bestowed upon those who deserve nothing but judgment. There's your definition of grace. Titus chapter 2 and the words of verse 11, Paul, uh, or Titus writes, Paul writes through his servant these words. Titus 2 and the words of verse 11, it simply says this, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. The grace of God that bringeth salvation. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is by grace of God that the sinner can know God's salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. The hymn writer captured it well. He said, simply nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to his cross I cling. You can't bring anything to God for salvation. You can't offer anything for you have nothing, sinner. It's all of God's grace that he should reach down to you. And all that you can do is lay hold simply upon that cross. This gift speaks to us also, not only of his compassion and his grace, the grace of God, but it speaks to us of the concern of the Father's heart. That God should give his only begotten Son, the very darling of his bosom, to come to this earth as a babe, so that one day he might suffer this suffering and the shameful humiliation, not only at the cross, but of coming on to his own and his own receiving him not, of the agony of woe that he was to endure at Calvary for no sin of his own, then how great must his concern be to save lost sinners. When you stop and think of this, coming at it from another angle, how awful must be the caverns of the damned. When the worm dieth not, the fire is not quenched. How dreadful it must be for a lost soul to be in that place where they'll have no hope of ever escaping because it's eternal. How terrifying it must be in those everlasting flames along with the devil and his angels. How dark must be that outer darkness where there is that weeping and gnashing of teeth. The very fact that God spared not his son but delivered him up for us all. 
Does it not indicate to you the concern that God had for lost sinners? And it ought to awaken us to have a concern about our own state before God and about the well-being of our own souls that will live as long as God lives. For your soul will not die. Oh, your body will. Mine will. But our soul lives on. That God should give this unspeakable gift ought to move us. How much does the reality of a soul perishing concern you and me at this time of the year or indeed any other time of the year? How poor and worthless are all our gifts compared with the greatest gift of God. How slight are expressions of compassion even at the best for our fellow man compared with the compassion that he has shown. There is the regal giver. But you know in closing I just want you to consider the response. Because God has given this unspeakable gift then it behoves us to make a response in return. And that response ought to be one of personally receiving it. That is what we will do with the physical presents that are given. There's a receiving of them. And what of the spiritual gift, what of the greatest gift that this world has ever seen? This unspeakable gift is to be received gratefully. Bless God, being still in the day of his grace, the sinner can receive Christ now as their own and personal Savior. You know, that's the promise that you find in John 1 and 12. But as many as received him, to them give a power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Receiving Christ as your Savior. Forget about who's next to you or who's in front of you. It's your Savior, your own and personal Lord and Savior. Have you received Christ as your Redeemer? Have you accepted by faith what he has accomplished in the cross for a sinner like you? Have you received God's unspeakable gift? This receiving is something personal. For God deals with individuals in salvation. He did that at the woman at the well. He did that with Zacchaeus who was lofted up in the tree. He did it with the religious man that came and met him by night by the name of Nicodemus. God deals with individuals in salvation. And we plead with you this Sabbath, O Christmas Eve, to receive by faith the Lord Jesus Christ, God's unspeakable gift. I tell you, it'll be the best Christmas you'll ever have. But you know, having received this greatest gift, the response will be like the apostle speaks of in my verse. It'll be one of rejoicing. He says, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Only they who have received Christ as Savior can really thank God for him. How many will engage in singing the Christmas carols and will only be offering lip service? For their heart knows nothing of God's redemption, God's salvation. They have no song of the soul set gloriously and wondrously free. Or oh, they might be taken up with a tune or, or the old lines of those carols, but they don't know anything by experience of them in the heart. 
We have sung some of them tonight. Jesus, my Savior, to Bethlehem came. Born in a manger, to sorrow and shame, oh, was wonderful, blessed be his name, seeking for me, for me. But for the repentant sinner, it is with loving gratitude and thanksgiving that we sing these hymns and we're able to offer our worship unto God for his unspeakable gift. We owe God our highest praise. We owe God our highest thanks for the gift of Christ. For when we think of our sin, that sin which has now been freely pardoned, we think of that agitator, our troubled conscience, which is now at peace. When we think of the soul which is now unspeakably, internally happy or the hell from which we have been delivered and the heaven to where there is our eternal inheritance, then our heart should overflow with gratitude and our language should be that of continually on our lips. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Every other mercy should seem small compared with this one. Is that how it is with you this evening? You see, men and women, with any gift that is offered, there's another response, sadly, that can be rendered, and that is rejection. A gift on some occasions can be refused. And how tragic that is, so often the response made by those who hear the message of Christ and the message of the gospel which is able to make them wise unto salvation able to make them ready for heaven. And the Lord doesn't force himself upon anyone. And so those who will one day perish will never be able to accuse God that his salvation was not free enough. For God's servant has stated, it's a gift. It's a gift. It is your responsibility to freely receive him as he is freely offered in the gospel. Paul brings it out in Romans chapter 3 and verse 24. You boys and girls will know verse 3, of course, for all of sin comes short of the glory of God. Verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's how you can be saved tonight. It's freely offered to you in the gospel. It's freely offered through the redemption that Christ purchased on that cross. And that's why he came to Bethlehem's manger. And the promise you know tonight is that him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. He'll not turn you away because you've rejected him so many times before tonight. He'll take you in. To reject the Christ of God, to reject this unspeakable gift, and you will be without excuse on that great and final day when you'll stand before God. And so I plead with you, spurn not this amazing gift any longer. This unspeakable gift. But our prayer is that God by his grace would make you willing in this the day of his power so this evening you might come and be saved. You might take Christ as your savior. You might go home through those doors and out home where your sins pardoned, washed away beneath the precious blood. 
And God has said, as far as the east is from the west, so far that they removed my transgressions from me. Do you not know that blessing? Do you not want Christ, this unspeakable gift, to be your Savior tonight? Then come now. You can meet with him just where you sit. I pray that the Lord will bless his word to each and every heart for his own namesake. Let's just sing a couple of verses in closing. Number 84, we'll sing a couple of verses that we didn't sing. Verse 2 and 3. Jesus, my Savior in Calvary's tree, paid the great debt, and my soul he set free. This can be your uh, testimony. You know Christ as your Savior. Number 84, let's stand as we can. Uh, verse 2 and 3. Father and our God, we thank thee for thy word. We bless thee, Lord, thou art yet calling unto sinners tonight. We thank the Lord that they can have this unspeakable gift that Paul speaks about. And Lord, we thank thee for the gift of thine only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We praise the Lord for each one that knows him as their own Savior. But speak unto those that don't. Lord, that they might receive this greatest gift. They might have Christ as Lord and as their Redeemer. They might know their sins pardoned, forgiven, washed away. They might have the assurance that one day they'll be in glory. Lord, speak on when the preacher's voice is silent. Call that soul or souls unto thyself that that soul or soul might recognize Christ Jesus died for me at Calvary. Part us with thy blessing. In thy fear, watch over us this week. For we ask these things in our Savior's precious and all-worthy name. Amen.